good to see all of you. And uh, let's just cover this in prayer, please. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your admonition and your utterances. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you revere us so much, Lord, that you bring us truth. Truth that expands beyond what we would normally expect, but that which goes further and farther. We thank you, Lord, as we reach deep for revelation, O oh God. And we thank you, Lord, that you help us this morning to grasp this elusive yet amazing mystery of the glory of God, even just a glimpse of it, Father. We thank you for that. Now, Lord, you be glorified, and you alone, in Jesus' name, amen. I want to welcome those of you who are online with us, those who will be watching later, to our friends from Cielos Abiertos, our new friends. Thank you so much for being uh, welcoming us so warm and receiving us. And we ask you, Lord, to just allow us to be continue to be friends. Sir, if you would, please. That's all right. Thank you. Okay, so let's, uh, let's delve into this because it's important, and I left you off two weeks ago, and by the way, thank you, Ralph, for stepping in, and Patty, it was wonderful. You guys were terrific, and uh, we're so blessed to have the five-fold working and active here in this house. Uh, it, it is a blessing. <clears throat> I do want to share with you really quickly that uh, we had a wonderful time in Houston with the church, Cielos Abiertos, actually it's Casa de Deus, the house of God, and the pastor Juan and his wife, tremendous people of God, the church on fire, uh, uh, an on fire church from worship to everything that's going through, and uh, it was a blessing, and it was a real um, gut check for me for multiple reasons. One, because the Lord has allowed me to cross that threshold, which we'll talk about further today. And I realize that now is that time, and I need to be able to stay focused on that. Obviously, we want to preach and teach the things of God in a full balance and a buffet, but to stay focused on that. But what else it was, was there was an understanding that we really, especially for those of you who have been with this house for a while, and for myself even, uh, stuff that I was sharing, uh, they were grabbing onto as morsels. Things that have become foundational here were, were, were reactive there. It was as if uh, new rhema was opening up to them all over the place. And I realized that that's that foundation we've been building together for a while, and now uh, we're going to be permitted to share that foundation with many others and that that foundation uh, is for this time. It's based on the Word of God, but yet it's a foundation that opens up revelation, and a revelation that allows us to accept things that normally I realize as I get out there that many, many have not had the opportunity to receive. So that was really eye-opening to me, and it, the timing's right because we're launching the, uh, the Leadership Institute, and I mentioned to you that I would be announcing soon that I want to do a prepare the way uh, intense uh, immersion. And I'm going to be doing that shortly. I'll be announcing it shortly. Just for those of you who are here, I want you to pray if you're inclined to be a part of that. 
Um, this isn't for, uh, this isn't baby food. <laughs> this is a real challenge, and uh, it's going to be setting a pattern for what we're going to share out in many places. And uh, at this point, I'm leaning towards Sundays at 6 o'clock uh, because I found that that really fits in a schedule that I can handle. It's a little, it's a little harder on me because typically Sunday afternoons is, are the only time that I let down and try to rest a little, but I feel that uh, this is urgent and that we need to do this, and again and again, I want to be committed to the Lord, and the Lord will give us strength as we need it, will he not? So pray about that, and, uh, and, and uh, get prepared. We'll see what the Lord will do uh, as it goes. We're, ch- we're talking about, I talked to the team, the video team and the media team, about having this in the uh, upstairs, so that we can get the be- best recording and opportunities we can, so we would be sitting chairs up there in a small studio setting, similar to what we did when I was doing some Bible study teaching that was being recorded. So uh, pray about that and think about that, please, as we go. I left you off talking about crossing the threshold, and, and we had this prop. And this prop I held up and said, see if this is the threshold, and just to give you a little memory, uh, reminder, uh, the threshold has two areas, doesn't it? What's in front of the threshold, what's behind the threshold. So when we cross a threshold, we're coming from a place to another place, or we're coming into a place. It's either out of a place or into a place. And in this instance, the Lord made it very clear to me some five, six weeks ago as we started this series, that we were crossing a threshold. I wrote to you this, and uh, as we prepared for this, I said the ministration of glory is possibly the most fascinating divine mystery that is elusive, yet possible for the discerning saint to pursue. Now, it is very elusive in the sense that, to be quite frank with you, if I may, I've seen and read many things about the glory. And uh, in 1984, uh, there was a wonderful woman of God and, and a nun and myself who we did a uh, symposium on the glory in Jerusalem. And none of us really got it right. At least I got to the point where I said, I really don't understand it completely, but I fear the glory of God. And uh, since then, we've had all kind of discussions about the glory. You know, a very dear friend of mine whom you know, you probably see his programs, he talks about the supernatural move of glory and the glory and the glory and the glory. And he and I have talked about that. And um, there's others that have written things about the glory. Uh, One that came out was a lot from my teachings. But I still never got to the point where I was, am ready to release it because I'm still digging into it because the glory isn't a thing. The glory isn't a feeling. The glory isn't an emotion. The glory, yes, you know, we get to the point where it's the presence of the Lord, the presence of the Holy Spirit, of course. But we really don't understand the ministration of the glory. And sometimes we're arrogant enough as people to think we do. And maybe that's one reason why we're really not fully immersed into the glory. I think the other reason is is because we're not prepared to be immersed into the glory. I remember once in Jerusalem, uh, I was preaching at the, in the Benyanea Uma, 
and uh, they had moved my series uh, from upstairs to down in the basement. Now, some would have thought that was a demotion, but actually it became a promotion because the downstairs of the Benyuneauma could seat many more people. And uh, what would have been contained by about 60 or 70 in a classroom had an opening, and we had many, many people come down from many, many nations. And that was really the first time that I began to minister and speak the glory of God. And I said something there. Uh, two things happened. One, I said, listen, I'm not going to ever call upon the fullness of the glory of God to fall upon a congregation because I don't want to be responsible for people being carried out in body bags. And their eyes got this big, and I said, it's because we get arrogant in our grace, and we really don't appreciate and understand the holiness and purity and the essence of glory. Glory is the pure essence of God himself. And that's what Ezekiel was trying to grasp. And all he could say is the glory of God. And I saw the glory. I see the glory of God. I'm in the glory of God, the ministration of the glory of God. And it was tangible to him, and it was personal to him, but yet it was still something that he dare not try to minister alone. And if you saw, there, as I shared with you, there was a man clothed in linen. We can only assume that to be uh, either uh, an archangel I don't know. It could have been Jesus himself. I don't really know. But it was a man clothed in linen, which tells us it's a holy person because that was the fine linen. And that linen is righteousness. We discussed that two weeks ago. It's a righteousness. In Revelation, it tells us that we will be clothed in fine linen, and that's the righteousness of the saints. When I say we, it's the bride of Christ. Revelation 19, shall be clothed in, in, in fine linen, which is the righteousness of the saints. So understanding that this is pure righteousness ministering the coals of fire, the glory of God, Ezekiel got it. He got it that, that he wasn't capable of doing this himself. He was only capable of being an oracle for God, a prophet for God. And then the man clothed in linen who also had the inkhorn, the stamp, who was judged and not judged, would minister the glory of God. But what it tells us about that, since this man clothed in linen is ministering coals of fire of glory, is that the glory is to bless and the glory is to judge. It's for both. And that's one of the messages that the body of Christ needs to understand today. When we call upon the fullness of the glory of God, we're basically saying, Lord, you do what you want to do now. And the Lord in his temperance and his grace says, no, I'm not going to fall upon you in my full glory because if I do and you're unholy, even if you're, you think you're covered in the blood of God, but you're one of those ones that's partaking in that den of iniquity that he showed Ezekiel up above that were the priests that were falling in sin, then we would, we would end up finding ourselves in a very bad place, would we not? So we want to understand that the fullness of the glory of God is something that we shall attain to, but I don't believe we're going to attain to it in this life. I don't believe that. I don't think we're capable of attaining to it in this life. But I do believe we will attain to the fullness of the glory of God in eternal life and that we get our past by the blood of Jesus Christ, but also that we are those who are within that thermostatic temperature of hot. Hot, right? We talked about hot, lukewarm, and cold in Revelation chapter 3. And what we're talking about when we're saying lukewarm, 
to hot is the righteous people, people that believe in Jesus Christ. If someone doesn't believe in Jesus Christ, they can't be lukewarm. And all of this was about believers. Now that opens up our eyes, and I was reading something that I taught in the Leadership Institute last year, and, and that was where I said, actually, we read of three temperatures in the book of, uh, in the church of Laodicea in Revelation, but actually there's multiple temperatures, at least six, because if you're hot, right, and the flames can still turn up hotter, then that means you're hot or hotter or hottest. Then the same thing if you're lukewarm. If you're lukewarm, it's like, it's like the, the water's just beginning to get close to bubble and, and turn up on the stove, but you gotta turn it up a little hotter. So you're lukewarm at maybe a temperature of 80 degrees, but it's gotta go up to 90 until you can get up to the boiling point. So there's gradations of lukewarm. But interesting, there's only one temperature for cold. It's cold. It's cold. <clears throat> if, if, if you're going to get into a swimming pool or you're going to get into the ocean and the temperature's 45 or 55, you really don't care. It's cold, right? Unless something's wrong with you. You're saying, oh, it's, 40, 40, it's 55, it's not 40. You don't know the difference. It's just cold, right? And that's why the Lord says, I'd rather you were hot or cold but not lukewarm, because if you're hot, I can make you hotter. And if you're cold, I can take you to up somewhere, but if you're lukewarm, you're comfortable, you don't have a clue. And that means you're just fine where you're at. And that describes the majority of believing, practicing people in the body of Christ today is lukewarm. Now, if you disagree with me, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to offend anybody, but I pray myself all the time that I don't slip into lukewarm. Lukewarm can come very easily. It can just become another habit. It can become uh, 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 the product of your environment. It can happen just because we allow things to become an offense and we allow that offense to become offense and we allow bitternesses to come in and rejections. All kind of things can stab us so that we let some of the hot air out of the, out of the balloon and begin to get lukewarm. So it's up to us to keep fanning that balloon, is it not? Just think of a big, big balloon. One time, uh, my wife and I, I think we went twice on a balloon trip. Once was ourselves, but then we went with Johan Lukoff. And uh, we were, where were we? You, you, Colorado. And Johan Lukoff was the director of the ICJ, and he really wanted to get on a balloon. So we said, okay, we'll do a balloon. Well, if you've ever been on a balloon, they, they want you to get there first thing in the morning while the sun's coming up. So there's no breeze, no wind, and you crawl into this thing, and it's a little basket, and in the basket, and then they start to what? They start to pump fire into it so that it heats the air, and that thing begins to go higher, and then higher, and then they, they as it starts to come down, they pump a little bit more into it, and then if somebody really knows how to pilot a balloon, they're supposed to be able to gradually get that thing back down, but the thing about the balloon, the balloon goes where the wind takes it. Huh? You don't, you don't have a rudder. You don't have a wing. You don't dip a wing. You don't dip a rudder. You don't have a steering wheel. It, it goes to where you want to get it. The only thing that you have any control of at all is your takeoff, your elevation, coming down, and your crash landing. And it is a crash landing. I've never seen too many balloons just boop right down, and we had a crash landing. And uh, 
we went over the side. I had Lukoff was like this, and I'm holding him, and we're going up over the side, and it's got, it got dragged on the ground, and the wind was dragging it on the ground. That's somewhat like being lukewarm, isn't it? It's when you're letting the, the, the fire out of the air, and the balloon's beginning to come down, and it crashes, and then you get dragged out until you get yourself right again. I learned one experience from that. I don't need another balloon ride. I'm okay. <laughs> I don't ever need another balloon ride. I like airplanes that have wings in them and has power and that, that we know how to land. That's what I like. And cars are good too that don't leave the ground. So, so in this instance, what I want to share with you is I said that the glory is possibly the most fascinating divine mystery that is elusive yet possible for the discerning saint to pursue. When we look at that, let's look for a moment at, uh, at, at Ezekiel, and I want to go to chapter 10, verses 3 and 4. And I, I'm not going to teach all the way out of Ezekiel. I did ask you to just do a willful assignment two weeks ago and get familiar with Ezekiel 9 and 10, which is hard to do, by the way. And I also cautioned you not to pay too much attention to the commentaries on it. I've yet to read any commentary that even gets close to what the glory is. I'm sorry, but I haven't read any. I'm not telling you I have it, but I'm telling you they don't have it. And, and uh, so they, you know, some say, well, it shows the authority of God. What is that? That's like a prophet telling you, Jesus loves you. You know, that's not prophetic. Yeah, it shows the authority of God. Oh, it, it shows that, that God's omnipotent. Well, of course it shows that God's omnipotent. Those aren't, those aren't valid commentaries. Those are just somebody trying to understand something. We'd be better off to say, I don't get it. This is so mysterious and so elusive, I don't get it. But here's what I get of it. I get pieces of it. And so it says, now, this is what Ezekiel is seeing. He's seen this vision, and, and this is just part of it. He's already seen these wheels inside the wheels, all these eyes covering all over the place. The wheel's so much bigger. He sees the, 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 the ambience of, of God on top. He hears the voice of God that's coming out of the rushing wings of the cherubim that are carrying these wheels, that the wheels are carrying them. And these, these cherubim have man-like faces, but there's multiple faces. And it says that they just look in all directions at, at one time, but yet it moves within the wheels, within the wheels, but nobody's turning. It's just moving and moving. Otherwise, it's non-dimensional. It's not, it's not responsive to anything dimensional that has ever been seen or known by our laws of physics or what our, our, our experiences are. We can't understand it that way. That's what he was trying to say. And so then he's talking about this, and he goes, Now the cherubim were standing on the south side of the temple when the man went in, and the cloud filled the inner court. He's talking to man in linen. Next. Then the glory of the Lord went up from the cherub and paused, paused over the threshold. The man went in, right? But it says the Lord went up from the cherub and paused over the threshold of the temple, and the house was filled with the cloud, and the court was full of the brightness of the Lord's glory. Of the Lord's glory. The house was filled with the brightness of the Lord's glory. Let's turn as, as a, a synoptic verse, and let's look at Matthew chapter 16, verse 27. You know, not only the Gospels are synoptic, you understand that, right? Matthew, Luke, 
and, and Mark are synoptic gospels because they're all dealing with time. John is not considered a synoptic gospel because he's not relating the same things the other three do. He goes before time and deals with it different. They're dealing with the time of Jesus on. I call this synoptic because this is Jesus, us understanding this glory move in today's age when we're crossing the threshold. This was when Ezekiel saw it and there was a crossing of the threshold. Now we see, for the Son of Man will come. Somebody say, will come. How many of you believe the Son of Man is going to come? How many of you believe the Son of Man might come sooner than later? How many of you believe that we're in that season to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord? And so this has significance to us because this is a threshold scripture. This is what Ezekiel saw. We don't have to see it empirically. We don't have to see it with these eyes. We know it with the Spirit. We know it because he who raised him from the dead, that same Spirit dwells in us. And that Spirit understands crossing the threshold. That Spirit is the Spirit of glory that crosses the threshold. So it says, For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. Notice, the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father. That's why I think, and I can't tell you this uh, uh, absolutely, but I think the man of linen in Ezekiel is Jesus. Because Jesus is ministering the glory of the Father. Let's look at Romans 6, 4 for a moment so you start putting these pieces together. And by the way, we've shared the power of the resurrection. And when I shared that there in, in Texas, the, their minds were blown, you see. And we take that so commonly now, it's familiar to us. But, but that's, that's a revelation that opens up the mind. It says, Romans 6, 4, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the of who? Glory. Pardon? Glory of who? Father. The Father. Even so, we also should walk in newness of life. Now, we understand that the threshold that, going back to Ezekiel, he was talking about, it stopped at the threshold, and it came from the throne. That was the glory of the Father. We understand that the man of linen was the one who was told to minister the glory and, and to take it out and then to scatter it. Now, when we understand the power of his resurrection, let's also go to Romans 8.11 real quick, please. I have to lay this foundation down because some of you may not have had this before, but also I wanted to be part of this teaching. Romans 8.11. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Who raised Jesus from the dead? The glory of the Father, right? But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So we understand that somehow the spirit, which is the Holy Spirit, and the glory of the Father are one. Come on. They're one. Well, believe it or not, many in the body of Christ don't get that. They say, wait, well, yeah, he's God in one. He's God in one, but they don't understand that the three in one are operating functions that minister the glory. Do you 